Welcome to Grass Talk Radio. This show is for people who play bluegrass music and anybody who might want to. The prison guard shut the iron door behind me. Howdy folks and welcome back to Grass Talk Radio. Uh, the first thing I want to say is I want to just say that this is sort of a landmark episode because uh, the total downloads count to date, episode one through today, has topped the 30,000 downloads mark. And, you know, I just look back and, and think about watching those first couple of downloads happen and thinking, wow, you know, if I could get a thousand downloads that would be pretty cool well today it's 30 30, 30,000 plus and continues to grow and it's like every time I look at my YouTube channel I say to myself man if I only had a nickel for every one of those YouTube views and I I can't help but sit here and think man if, if I just had 50 cents for every download it might make this worthwhile but enough about that I've given you plenty of of um, different ways in which you can support the show. Some of them are monetary and some of them are not. They're, you might call them promotional. And let me just very quickly rattle off a few of them. The first thing you can do is tell your friends. If every listener to the show found somebody out there in the world who wasn't a listener and turned them on to it, as they say, well, in theory, that would double the audience. So that's that's something you can do. It doesn't cost you anything, and you're helping your fellow man. If you feel like you're getting some value out of this, then why wouldn't they? So that's it's free. I've also put the little flyer up there. I've stopped talking about the mini flyer. I'm sure there's you know one or two people out there who have printed out the mini flyer and handed it to some fellow bluegrass jammer or something and if you've done that thank you very much but i think most people haven't because i can see the number of clicks uh, on the page so that's uh, another i classify that as another one of my dumb ideas um okay so of course the other thing you can do is become a grass talk radio supporter it's been pretty weak lately let me tell you i had i I just have to tell you, sometimes I sit here and I wonder why I do this. And then, you know, out of the blue, you know, a month will go by and bam, somebody, somebody just sent me 10 bucks and a little note saying, keep up the good work. And so you feel obligated to continue. You think, wow, you know, this, this person really likes this and I'm having some impact, but then when, then when you as I always do, look at the other side of the coin and and think of how much time and effort goes into doing this and expense, then I think, oh, maybe I should just quit this thing. Of course, everything that's up there is up there. And so long as I continue to pay my hosting fees, it'll just stay up there. I've tried to make my podcast something of lasting value so that I'm not just talking about, you know, some festival that's coming up in two weeks or something like that, which in five years wouldn't mean much to anybody. I'm trying to keep it, you know, the information, something that will be of long-term value to people. And hopefully, you know, people may come along here 10 years from now and find this podcast, presuming it's still up and at them, uh, 
um, and, you know, get just as much value out of it as you may be getting out of it today. And the other thing that people can do is to scope out and purchase some of my instructional materials. Um, I've got a lot of mandolin material, videos and ebooks, a pretty good bit of banjo stuff too. And then I've got some other oddball odds and ends like my bass instruction course, um, the dulcimer instruction course, which, you know, is amazing. That, that little thing does pretty good. It's, uh, it's just, I don't know. It just surprised me. It was just something, you know, I knew how to play one and I decided, well, I can use the same methodology and mindset that I did when I created the banjo instruction course, the mandolin instruction course, the bass instruction course, the guitar, all that stuff. I thought, well, I'll just sit down and do the same thing with a dulcimer. It probably won't earn me 10 bucks over the course of my life, but, well, you know, why not do it? Well, I did it, and it, it actually does pretty good. It That little thing brings in about, it probably averages about 40 bucks a month, which, you know, that's over that's 400 plus 480 bucks a year. Well, that was worth the week I spent on it and it just keeps on, keeps on going. So even the little small things do add up. And however, I, I have had some products that I've put together that I just thought was, man, this is the greatest thing. If people just had this and then I put it all together and it just sits there. And it sits there. And maybe it's because I don't know how to market stuff. I'm, I know that's true. And one of them is going to be the basis for what I'm talking about today. And I want to talk about harmony singing. Because a lot of people, especially beginners, and you might call them those intermediate folks, and those, those people who are just beginning to do some singing at jam sessions, or they're beginning to form little, you know, porch bands and, uh, you know, their first attempt at bands and things like that. And one of the weaknesses that I see a lot is just a lack of understanding of how vocal harmonies are stacked up. You know, what's the basic methodology for that bluegrass trio or bluegrass duet or quartet. I'm going to talk about all those things today. And it's not complicated. It can get complicated, but it, you know, at the, at the, at the heart of it, it's, it's fairly simple if, in terms of like music theory knowledge. So what I'm using for my notes today are seven pages that are contained within of my my worst selling ebook product I've ever done, and I'm I, I'm going to go to uh, page one of this thing. I, I have it up here in front of me. In fact, you wouldn't believe the table right now, the kitchen table. I've got a set of speakers set up. I've got my iPod on ready to play a couple of example tunes. I've got this one old MacBook Pro that I'm using to display my notes and what I'm talking about over to my right. I've got the Mackie mixer to my left. I've got the microphone, little desk microphone. And 
over to my right, just out of reach, I have an old PowerBook G4 running Audacity that's doing the recording task. And hopefully it doesn't, you know, have a little heart palpitation or something today. I've had a few episodes where, you know, I'm listening back to the, uh, to the recorded stuff and they'll just be like a half second just missing. And I'm like, oh, well, maybe I could just cut out that whole sentence. So anyway, my, the table is just covered with stuff because I want to be able to play you some examples of what I'm talking about, about how to sing these various notes. I thought about sitting down and doing it at the piano, but I'd have to find a place to put all this junk, all this recording gear and stuff over there at the piano. So what I decided to do was play a few tracks, give you a couple of examples and talk about how you stack up the basic bluegrass harmonies. And some of the terminology is different than your standard choral uh, terminology. In, in chorus, you know, you have soprano, alto, tenor, bass, generally, S-A-T-B. And the, the terms are a little different in bluegrass we tend to refer to them as lead, tenor, and baritone. And then if we're a quartet, we'd have a bass. Lead, tenor, baritone. So the, the, the mindset of how to stack the parts is slightly different, maybe a little more, you know, homegrown, traditional, not maybe so, you know, uh, music theory correct. But the end result produces a what we call close harmony. I'm going to talk about all that in a minute. I've managed to find the cover of the book. I can never remember the title of my own book and it's the worst title ever, but it's a great looking cover. It's, it's called the bluegrass family band Songbook. And I, you know, I pedal those. I sell, you know, one every couple of months, <laughs> I put a lot of work into this thing and where it came from, and I don't intend to make this just a commercial for this thing. I will put a link on the show notes page. Go to grasstalkradio.com. Go down to this episode, and I'll put a link to this product. So if if anything here that I'm talking about is something you want, you can go over there, and you can buy it very easily and download it instantly. What this thing is, is I was teaching lessons to a family, and they had a little family band. I had been... Uh, teaching the father mandolin lessons. Well, he, like a lot of people, wanted to get a little band going and wanted to get his kids and wife involved. So his wife started playing guitar, and one of the girls was taking uh, fiddle-slash-violin lessons from somebody else. And uh, one of them, one of the girls started taking banjo lessons from me, and another one bass. And they would come, and we would alternate weeks. Each week, the kids would come and get their individual instrument lessons. And then on the following week, the whole family would come and we would work on things together. And one of the things that I found difficult was that the songs that I was teaching the banjo player weren't the same songs that the fiddle player was learning. And they weren't in the same key. And the mandolin, and you know, all this stuff has to agree. So in order to teach them as a group, I had to be making sure that they all were getting the same songs in the same keys. So what I did is I 
tabbed out 10 banjo songs, very basic banjo arrangements of 10 songs. And I did the same thing for mandolin, the same thing for bass, the same thing for guitar, the same thing for fiddle. And I also wrote out all the melody lead. I made lead sheets. A lead sheet is just the melody of a song written out, usually in standard notation, with the lyrics and the chord changes. That's a lead sheet. So I created the lead sheets, the bass part, the fiddle part, the mandolin part, the guitar part, and the banjo part. For all the, all of them had the same ten songs in the same keys, and to make it easy, the entire group of ten songs was either in the key of G or the key of A, and in total, it only used four chords. So I put all this material together for them, and it sat around for a long time. And after I moved down here and was no longer teaching them, I had this stuff, and I kept thinking, you know, there's got to be other people that could use this same sort of thing. So I assembled it all into a book, and that is the Bluegrass Family Band Songbook. So it's it's 10 easy arrangements of 10 popular bluegrass songs with the chords for all five of the basic instruments. But when I put it all together, I got to thinking, well, you know, they need to be able to sing this stuff too. And I think eight or eight or, I don't know, eight, seven or eight of the songs are also vocals. So I thought, well, I need to provide them lead sheets and lyrics. So I put that in there. And then I also thought, well, what about harmony singing? So I sat down and thought about how you actually arrange harmony singing. And I did a lot of harmony singing in Cedar Hill and Pony Express both. Many times I was a baritone singer because I have a relatively low voice and I also sang lead on some stuff and somebody else would sing baritone. I never sang tenor. Maybe once or twice. So we used to work out a lot of stuff and we had some, some good sounding vocals. Uh, took, we took great pride in our vocals and I, I don't know if, if I have something handy, I will insert a little example of that. But what I want to do today is give you the basics of bluegrass harmony singing. So let's just begin and we're going to wade through this thing. And I'm again, I'm working from what's in this little bluegrass family band songbook. So after I go through all this stuff, if there is, if you want this stuff on paper written out, um, just go to the show notes page and you can, you can get this thing. So here it is with the information. And, and I'm going to just paraphrase what I've written here with the information that is in the seven pages, you can sort out how to sing duets. And by duets, it's typically the lead vocalist and a tenor singer. That's normally considered a duet in bluegrass. Or trio harmonies. That's lead, 
tenor, and baritone. Now, the standard way of stacking the trio is the lead in the middle. So the lead singer singing in the middle, and the tenor is singing above, and the baritone is below. And a very important point is that none of them are singing the same note. And that's something, unfortunately, that I hear a lot in bands who haven't quite figured this stuff out. You, you hear it a lot at jam sessions. And let's say the trio is moving along through the chorus of a song like Sitting on Top of the World or Worried Man Blues or something like that. And the lead singer is singing the melody that you are very familiar with, and the tenor is above and the baritone is below. But there will be moments within their, you know, sort of haphazard, uh, flying-by-the-seat-of-their-pants arrangement where the tenor and the baritone end up singing the same note one octave apart. So you don't really have all three notes of a chord. And, and the essence of harmonizing is to produce chords using voices. Now, obviously, a duet, you're not producing a full chord. You're only producing two notes. But I'm going to mostly talk about trio harmonies. And before I do that, let me, let me find where did I put my iPod. Ah, here it is. Listen to this. This is a good example. I'm just going to hold it up to the mic. And let me say this for all you um, lawyers out there. This, this podcast is free and for educational purposes. And so I'm claiming fair use rights to play this. I just pulled up on YouTube one of the classic bluegrass trios. And I suggest that if you want to learn how to sing bluegrass, and I'm going to give you a few more examples later, that perhaps you take a listen to, this is J.D. Crow in the New South. This is the classic album with Ricky Skaggs and Tony Rice and J.D. and Bobby Sloan and Jerry Douglas, and they are doing Some Old Day. Here you go. It's just, as I have it queued up, I think it's just finishing a verse and about to go in the chorus. Just listen to the chorus. telling you what that's it right there that's what i'm talking about you got three vocal parts lead tenor and baritone and i'll talk more about other stuff here in a minute but that's the sound that's that bluegrass trio sound okay let me let me get back to my notes now oh well, wait a minute let me play you another fine example and there are plenty of them to me, there are tons of bands who can play well. I mean, they're just everywhere now. But when you find people that can sing well, that puts you up one rung above on that ladder of greatness. You know what I mean? So remember that. If you're a little weak in your picking, but you're strong in your singing, I think it's easier for a group of people to improve their singing than it is to improve their playing. 
Unfortunately, I don't have a bunch of videos and ebooks on singing, but maybe I should do that. If you improve your singing, people going to like you better. I'm just telling you. You sing well, people are going to like it. The playing, a lot of people don't understand that stuff. Okay, enough of that. Now I'm going to back up I, the... I have another one queued up. Okay, check this out. This is the Bluegrass Cardinals. And once again, I'm claiming fair use. Bluegrass Cardinals. Just look them up and listen to this song. And there are many examples that I could pull from many bands. But this is a great trio. And this is the song, Blue-Eyed Boston Boy. I'm going to start at the beginning, so there's... There's going to be some banjo break, and if my memory serves me, it's been a couple hours since I listened to it, I believe that they sing the entire song as a trio. So here we go. Okay, that is another prime example. Blue-Eyed Boston Boy, Bluegrass Cardinals, of that classic bluegrass trio sound. That stuff is good. And if you learn to do it, it's a group effort. you got to have more than one person to learn to do this. You can't learn this by yourself. But you can learn about it and help other people do their part. So in bluegrass, there are generally three singing parts. If you're singing the melody, and in a typical song, you know, you do the verse and the chorus. And in a typical song, the lead singer sings alone during the verse. And then the trio harmony comes in on the chorus. That's the normal thing. That blue-eyed Boston boy, they're singing. It's just verse, 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 verse. And they're singing it all as a trio. But we call the melody singer the lead singer. So if you're singing the melody, you're the lead singer. And if you were to sing the song by yourself, you would be the lead singer. If you add a second vocal part in bluegrass, creating a duet, you're generally just adding a part just above the lead, the lead singer's melody line. And that's called the tenor in the bluegrass world. The third part is the baritone, and it's found just below the melody. Now, it's very important to remember the, the essence of harmonizing is the production of chords with your voices. And if you play an instrument, you play chords. Well, you might not on your bass or your, or your fiddle, but certainly mandolin players, banjo players... And guitar players play a lot of chords. And the technical definition of a chord is 
the playing of three different notes simultaneously together. So when you're playing three different notes or you're singing them, you're creating a chord. But they got to be different notes. If you're one singing a C and another singing a G and another one singing a high C, that's technically not a chord. It's just two parts. It doesn't have the third part. But if you're singing C, G, and an E, you're singing a C chord, C major chord. And you've got all three. And you can sing minor chords and major chords, but a chord is produced by singing three different notes. And that's the essence of the trio harmony sound. So it's very important that if you're going to devise a harmony system to sing bluegrass trios, you need to know the chords to the song. And it's also important to notice that the melodies of most songs begin each phrase on a chord note and end each phrase on a chord tone or note. Now, they may move around in between and hit non-chord notes. Let's just say I'm playing or singing a C chord. That's the note C, E, G. Well, I may sing an F and then come down to an E and then a D and then a C and so on. But the starting note of almost every phrase will be a chord note, either C, E, or G. And the ending note will be one of those three. That's very, very basic. But there are little fluctuating, moving notes in between. But in this Bluegrass Family Band songbook, I use the song Boiling Cabbage Down, which I wish I'd hear more people really do a fine job of Boiling Cabbage Down. Unfortunately, every beginner book in the world uses it to teach how to play the mandolin, how to play the banjo, how to play the fiddle. And people think of it as some like, oh, that's just some beginner song. And I never hear it performed, or not very often. And why Why not? Why not turn it into something great, you know? I'd love to hear a really good band do a really good arrangement of Boil Them Cabbage Down. So anyway, that's just a tip for you. The reason I chose that song in that book is because the melody never veers away from chord tones. When it's on the G chord, the lead singer is singing a note of the G chord. When it goes to the C chord in the second measure, the melody is singing a chord tone. And then it comes back to G, the melody. It, it, the melody throughout the entire song just shifts from chord tone to chord tone, and there are none of those intermediate moving phrases. So it makes it simpler to learn how to do. So there on, if you had this uh, Bluegrass Family Band songbook in front of you on page 76, I just write the melody out to boil him cabbage down. And if you look through it, every note is a chord note of the three chords of the song, G, C, and D. Okay, so you have these three notes, and I, on the way to school this morning, I was asking my son, I said, I've got this notation from this Bluegrass Family Band songbook. How do I make it be a, like when I play it, have it sound like a human voice? Because I've heard him do that in some of his little arrangements and stuff. And he explained to me how to do it. So let me now pull up 
in my Sibelius file, this is the notation, and I want to play you, this is the ah choir, it's just a voice that sounds like ah. The first thing you're going to hear are the three notes of a G chord. So it's the first, third, and fifth, if you're hip to that theory talk, one, three, five. If you're not, it's the notes are G, B, D. So you're going to hear those individually with the glorious computer-generated ah choir, and then you're going to hear them all played simultaneously. So here we go. These are the three notes of the G chord. Ain't that pretty? Now just think about it. If 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 you're doing a typical bluegrass stack of harmonies and the melody of the song began on that second note which is a B note. So let's say the song starts on a B. That's your lead voice. That lower chord tone, the first note, is the baritone. So what you're hearing when you hear these three come in is baritone, lead, tenor, and then all together. I'm going to play it one more time for you. When the three are together, that's what you call close bluegrass harmony. That's it. Now, the thing is, on that particular chord that you just heard, you heard G on the bottom, B in the middle, and D on top. And that would mean that B note in the middle is the lead. And we're using the closest possible neighboring chord tone for the tenor and the baritone. The, the tenor isn't way up high above it, like a mile above it. It is the next higher available chord tone. And the baritone is the next lower available chord tone for the present chord you're on. We're on a G chord here. Now, sometimes the notes get stacked up differently. You know, if you were playing a song and the lead was suddenly on a G note, well, the G needs to be in the middle and the tenor right above and the baritone right below on these chord tones. So... You have a whole selection of notes whenever the song is rolling along on a G chord. As If I hit play now, you're going to hear a bunch of G chords, two octaves full of G chord tones. There they are. That is... Two octaves of G chord tones. So what you do is you find the lead, any one of those notes. And if that's the lead note, the one right above it, the next higher note is the tenor, and the one right below it is, is the baritone. That's how it works. So the art of creating this close bluegrass harmony involves, first of all, finding the melody. You need 
you need to have a stable melody. If, if your lead singer sings it differently every time, how in God's name is the tenor singer and the baritone singer going to sing consistent harmonizing notes? So the lead singer needs to lock in on his part, his or her part. Once that is accomplished, then you need to look at the chord that is presently happening behind that part of the melody and find out is the lead singer singing a chord tone and 90% of the time they are. Then just find the next higher chord tone. That's your tenor part and the next lower chord tone. That's your baritone. Now all again, this is all explained in this little seven page section of the bluegrass family band songbook. Now let's listen to this here. When the, when the chord changes in the song, okay, you're on a G chord and then it goes to a C chord. Then maybe back to a G and then to a D or any chord doesn't matter. When the chord changes, the melody singer is locked in on his his or her part probably is singing a chord tone of the new chord. So you're singing along in G and it goes to a C. That note the lead singer hit just as the band hit a C chord is probably either notes one, three, or five of a C chord because the chord has changed. Well, the harmony singers need to change too. So I want you to listen to this. I'm going to play you that ah choir deal. And these are notes one, three, five, just the very basic chord stack. First of a G chord, you'll hear notes one, three, five, and then together, just like we just heard. Then I'm switching it to a C chord, same thing, one, three, five, and then all together, one, three, five, for the C chord, and then the D major chord. So these are the three chords that are getting produced when you were to sing boil him cabbage down harmonized here we go here first is the g chord stacked up uh, individually then stacked up so just think of the middle part here being the lead part and the lower part is the baritone and the upper part is the tenor and they're they're the closest available chord tone so here's the g chord coming up a C chord and a D chord okay so whenever the chord shifts within a song the vocal parts begin, they shift also to singing those chord tones. All right, now I'm going to uh, play a little more of the ah choir, and then we'll get on to some more explanation. Here, all I'm going to do is play um, a G, and then a C chord, then a G chord, then a D chord, and then back to a G, just so you can hear how it kind of shifts within a particular song. So, here it comes, it's going to be, I'll call them out as they come. 
So first we're going to hear just G chord. Now C. Back to G. Then D. And back to G. That's sort of what's going on in Boiling Cabbage Down. However, if you listen to just those middle tones, just the, uh, the B and the E and the middle tone of the next chord and the middle tone of the next chord, that's not Boiling Cabbage Down. So you have to be able to stack these chords in different ways. And so let me tell you about something called inversions. If I'm building a major chord, I'm using notes one, three, and five of the major scale. One, three, five, going up. One, three, five. You can also do it going three, five, one. Or you can go one, I'm sorry, let me start over. I got confused there. One, three, five, you can stack that way. Or you can go to the next higher inversion and go three, five with one on top, or you can go higher and go five, one, three. So there are three possible ways of stacking up a major chord. So you choose the one that the middle note ends up on the melody of the song. So you're not always playing these one, three, five chords, or I mean singing one, three, five all the time. Sometimes you're singing five, one, three. You follow my logic? If this is getting confusing, you know, maybe I, maybe I can sell you one of those books. If you read this stuff and study it, I think it will perhaps make a little more sense. But I, I just wanted to let you hear some of this stuff. So here now are three inversions of a G major chord. The first one is one, three, five. So that would mean the melody's on three. The baritone's on one, and the tenor's on five. One, three, five. The second one, what we've done, is gone three, five, and put the one on top. And that you would, again, if you need the melody to be in the middle, if, if the melody needs to be on a D note, it's B, D, G. Still a G chord. That's the first inversion. Then the second inversion, we just start on the five, then go to the one and put the three on top. So there are three different ways of producing a G chord vocally or instrumentally. You do this all the time on your instrument and you, you don't realize it maybe. So let's just hear the three inversions of a G chord. And these, any one of these three could be used depending upon the where the melody of the song is, because you want to always build it with the melody in the middle, tenor on top, next chord tone higher, and the baritone just the next chord tone below. So if you, if you had a song that these were the melody notes, if that's what the lead singer was singing, this is what the three G chords would sound like. The first one is this normal stack. So those are inversions. And when you're singing bluegrass harmonies, you're singing all of the inversions. Any 
any particular chord. And if we're looking to boil them calves down, we're talking about G, C, and D. You could be singing any one of those three inversions for any one of those chords. So there are nine choices. Okay, back to the notes. Once you have your, your chord tones, if you put all those together, if you wrote out, let's say, two octaves of a G chord and lead fell on one of those notes, just go to the next higher note, that's a tenor, and the next lower note's a baritone. It's really not any more complicated than that. Now, one of the ways people screw up and by the way, that's called close harmony because you're always choosing the nearest possible harmonizing chord tone to where the melody is. But if imagine this, if the tenor singer should skip over that note, that one that's just the first chord tone above the melody, and sing the second one above, it creates a problem for the baritone singer. Because if the tenor singer shoots too high, then they have stepped on the baritone singer's note. They're admittedly one octave above the baritone, but they end up singing an octave and you don't have a three note chord anymore. And you'll, you'll even hear this sometimes. I've heard it on some Bill Monroe. I've even heard Del McCurry do this where the tenor jumps not to the next chord tone but skip that one and goes above now at that point you either just live with the octave and go well that's you know that's that old mountain sound or whatever or the baritone singer has to has to leap above the lead singer to hit that middle note between the overshooting tenor and the lead he's got to jump way above for that one note just to fill in the three note chord so it's it's far better and smoother sounding if the tenor only jumps up to the next higher chord tone at the beginning of a phrase, end of a phrase. And that keeps the baritone singer from having to do these gymnastics to find the missing note. Okay, so I want to mention this again. General rule, all three parts sing different notes. If you are singing the same note as the lead singer, you are singing unison and that ain't harmony, okay? Or if you're singing an octave above someone else's note, I mean, in a theory sort of way, you could call that harmony, but it's not really a harmony. And there's going to be a missing chord tone because we need those three notes to build a chord. So very important, if you get nothing else out of this entire episode, remember that everyone has their own note. It takes two notes to harmonize and a minimum of three to build a chord. And these beautiful bluegrass trios are singing three-note chords. When you listen to Blue-Eyed Boston Boy or Some Old Day and a thousand other great examples, they're singing the chords. Okay. Now, if you had this little thing in front of you, I have written out the... For the very simple song, Boil Them Cabbage Down, I have the lead part and the tenor part and the baritone written out. I'm just going to play them for you individually. See if I can find it. It's a little tricky to find it. Hang on just a second. 
So I got to get my cursor right at the start of the melody. Okay, so here is a version. Here is the melody of Boil M. Cabbage Down. I'm going to speed it up a little bit. This is the melody part, Boil M. Cabbage Down. And Gid G. Okay, now here's the tenor part. If you went back to the beginning, it's on a G chord and the lead singer singing a B. So the tenor singer sings a D note, which is the next higher G chord note. So here's the tenor part. And some of those jumps, like that jump at the end, might have seemed a little odd, but they don't sound odd when they're all played together and sung together. And then here comes the baritone part. I love the baritone part on this because, because of the way the chords are shifting from G to C and back to G, there are shared notes. So the baritone singer sings the first the G chord and the C chord and doesn't have to change notes. Just listen to how simple this baritone part is. Crazy, isn't it? Anyway, the three parts are written out in that, in that PDF ebook that I keep talking about. The next part I'm going to just brush through, but it's, it's explained on, this is on page 81 of that book where sometimes your melodies aren't so simple. Sometimes they're moving notes in between those chord tones. It's not always going to stick on the chord tones. And I talk a little bit about how you find those, but the important thing to remember is even if the melody is moving around, and being a little more melodic, phrases almost always start on a chord tone and end on a chord tone. So you can get the beginnings and endings. What you do is you find all of the chord tones that the lead singer is singing. And you stack those harmonies first. Get that right. And what you'll find is a lot of times the lead singer is free to do those other notes. And you're for a brief moment creating a slightly different chord. But a lot of times it doesn't really alter the tenor or the baritone that much. But you can sort of follow in the same direction. If the, if the lead singer is going down, then the baritone and tenor might go down. You just sort of have to try these things and see what sounds right. Okay, let me talk briefly about duets. There is more freedom in a duet. Because let's assume the lead vocal stays the same that they're singing the same thing they would have sang in a trio. And the tenor typically is going to sing the next higher chord tone and follow the movement of the lead singer. But if in a duet situation, if the lead singer, I mean the tenor, decides to overshoot and hit one of those notes that would have tripped up the baritone player, a baritone singer, it's totally fine. It's totally okay because there's no baritone. 
So there's a bit more freedom in in duet singing. Uh, you can if you listen to a bunch of bluegrass duets, a lot of times you'll hear this going on. You'll hear the 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 tenor is going a lot of places that that they wouldn't go if they were singing a trio. Okay. Last thing I want to talk about with harmonies is I keep talking about the standard bluegrass trio is lead in the middle, tenor above, and baritone below. However, just like with chord inversions where there are three possible ways of stacking a chord, major or minor, you know, I've talked about that already, 135 or 351 or 513, any one of those, well, you can do the same thing with the way parts are stacked. If you go back and listen to some Osborne brothers and the way they were doing the trio, you know, well, before I go to that, a standard trio is set up this way because usually the lead singer has the mid range in terms of pitch for his voice. And you take the guy that can sing really high and you make him the tenor singer because he's typically singing higher than the lead guy. And the person with the lower-pitched voice gets baritone. But what do you do in a band where your best lead singer sings, like, excruciatingly high, like Bobby Osborne or Bill Monroe sometimes? Or a lot of female lead singers. What do you do? Well, the second stack method for bluegrass is called high lead. And you simply put the lead on top. And the baritone below as normal, and then you have a low tenor. And that low tenor is singing the same exact notes they would have sang if they could squeak it out above that high lead. But they can't, so they just sing it down one octave, and they end up below the baritone. So the high lead stack is lead on top, baritone the next chord tone down, and low tenor the next chord tone down, which is just singing tenor an octave below its normal position. Then you have another version called high baritone. So we have the three inversions. And that's where the lead is on the bottom. So if you've got a really low voice and you sing in lead and no one can get below you, well, you put the tenor above you and then you sing a high baritone above that. So the baritone singer is actually the highest pitch voice because he's singing the next chord tone above the tenor. So let me just review those. And again, this is all explained in this PDF. The standard trio, tenor on top, lead in the middle, baritone below. The high lead stack is lead on top, baritone next below, and then low tenor below that. And then you've got the high baritone. That's lead on the bottom, tenor in the middle, and an octave up, a high baritone at the very top. So this works a lot of times with, sometimes you'll choose a different method of stacking if you have males or males or females with very high vocal ranges. Sometimes it's just better to put the lead on top. And sometimes if you have very low lead singers, it's better to put the, the lowest pitch at the bottom and use that high baritone stack method. And once you learn to do this stuff and you listen to some of the different bands, you'll hear these things in practice. 
couple more things before I end this episode. And this is important, I think. It's always important when you're choosing the key for the song and you're choosing which of these stack methods you're going to use to harmonize. I think it's very, very, very important to always favor your lead singer. Put the lead singer in their best possible range because they got to sing the verses and they want to sing it soulfully and comfortably and be at the top of their game because during the verses, typically they're all alone. So you want the lead singer to really have their choice of the key. And then you get to stacking up the parts and you try the classic stack with tenor on top and baritone below and you using your resources of singers that you have available in your group. And if there is nobody that can sing tenor above that most comfortable range for the lead singer, well, you just stack it as a high lead. Or... Let's say you've got somebody that just sings low. You know, maybe they're like uh, down in that uh, Ernest Tubb range or something, or some some of the Lester Flat stuff. If that's the where the person sounds the best, you want to make them sound the best. So you choose the stacking method: high baritone, high lead, or the traditional lead in the middle. Choose the one that works the best and keeps the singer the happiest. Because if they're happy and they're, they're singing good, you will all sound better. Now, sometimes everybody has to bend a little bit. Sometimes none of those methods works out because of the limited vocal ranges that humans have. You know, it might be too high for the tenor here and you push it down. Now it's too low for the baritone or lead. So you, sometimes you need to move a song a half a step or a full step, and it might not be the optimum key for the lead singer, but it's pretty close, and and therefore you can do a good arrangement. So you need to be able to bend a little bit, but try to favor the lead singer, and then choose your stacking up method based upon the range of the lead singer. And, of course, there are songs that have crazy melodies. Sometimes there are some songs that the melody is really high, and then later on, it's really low. So you can, within the same song, switch your harmonizing stack method. If you're singing in the middle, you may be singing the standard trio. And if there are parts of it that are way up high, you may switch to a high lead harmonizing method for that part. And then if the melody goes way on down low, you may switch to the high baritone method. So what I'm saying is, you don't have to stick with one method throughout the entire song. Depends on where the melody goes. If the melody goes way on down and your baritone singer is just down, down like that, switch, you know, switch to the other method. And these, these various stacks are explained in this thing. I just simply cannot explain it all here on the podcast, but I just wanted to clue you into the basics of standard trio harmony singing and the high lead and the high baritone method. And anybody that wants this thing, if you're, if you happen to purchase it just to get this information on singing, just remember, you're also going to have, um, 10 easy banjo, fiddle, guitar, bass, and mandolin arrangements for 10 songs, all in the same keys with the chords and the lyrics and the lead sheets and all that stuff. So you might have a few things there that you don't need. But, you know, maybe you got some friends who do need it. 
Anyway, that is enough for this educational episode of uh, Grass Talk Radio. And thank you for listening to the show. Please support the show through the various methods I have mentioned before. And remember to visit BradleyLaird.com. That's where all those free lessons and where you can find all these ebooks and videos and all that kind of stuff. Or just go over to Grass Talk Radio and scope out all the other episodes. There's, if you're new to this podcast, you got hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of stuff to keep you educated and entertained. Anyway, so y'all have a great day. She's waiting at home like a patient saint. Her pale face filled with woe.